Get your Bibles out. If you don't have Bibles, you need to ask somebody to get you one for Christmas. There we go. I was just telling my wife how blessed we are. When I started this, we started this church out of our living room. It was me. I was playing the guitar, leading worship. Heather, our hope was helping me uh, sing. And uh, I had my little guitar. And we had Brian Riley. Uh, I don't know, Brian, are you here? Because I know you're a Cowboys Girl fan. I'm sure you didn't appreciate what Chris Prytower said. He was running the soundboard. It was a little dinky thing that looked like it was from an old Star, Star, Star Trek movie. And a little, a little a drum sound machine. He'd hit buttons that would go do 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 do. It was sad. And uh, and I was sitting sitting there just looking at the great people in our church. And well, Heather just rocks the house with worship leading and prophetic uh, song. And and then uh, Gary as an elder coming up and encouraging and his daughter standing up and giving a vision of prophecy and then Mark Wallace standing up and doing his thing and then Chris Prytower doing his thing and Mark up there with his screaming lead guitars and I mean I could just it's just awesome you know I mean church is almost over and I just finally stood up and uh I just you know and I did my favorite thing which is just you know they have to chain me on you ever seen the Muppets and they chain that drummer on the yeah you don't see them but there's chains back there they've got me all locked down back there and then we get to teach the Word of God. I just, we are just so blessed to be part of such a powerful church. Thank you, God, so much for birthing this church and filling it with your power and your presence. Thank you for coming. If you're a visitor, it's great to have you here today. And uh, you can fill out the visitor card and put it out of the table in the back and you'll get a, a gift on your way out. But we pray you meet Jesus today. We are not about religion. We are about a person. His name is Jesus and he will change your life for eternity. And so we pray that you will invite him into your heart today. You know, yesterday um, I did a wedding for a couple here, uh, Augie and Beth. And uh, yeah, amen. They're not, they're not here, but they will be because they just got married yesterday. So if they were here, I'd be very disturbed. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they just said, no holds barred, we want you to preach the gospel at our wedding and give an invitation for salvation right in the middle of the ceremony. And uh, so I did it. And, uh, you know, usually you don't want to do that. I always give a gospel message in a wedding ceremony, but people aren't coming there to be preached at. They're a captive audience. They've come for the bride and the groom. That's the day to celebrate them. But I said, listen, they asked me to do this, so I'm going to do it right before they exchange vows and we move forward with this. I'm just going to ask you um, if you'd like to receive Christ and just close your eyes and let's then pray this prayer with me. And so afterwards we're at their house and I'm signing the marriage license back in the office with, with Augie and one of his buddies and I sign it and then he called one of the witnesses back, which is a friend of Beth's. And uh, so this 21 year old gal is sitting there at the desk signing as a witness and I'm talking to Augie and his friend and his friend said, man, that was awesome the way you preached the gospel in the wedding and, and you gave an opportunity for salvation and and Augie said, yeah, I mean, I don't know if anybody received, but... And the girl said, I did. <laughs> and we said, really? And she said, yeah. And I said, was that the first time you ever did that? And she goes, uh-huh. And their eyes start one up with tears. And, and she goes, and I 
felt such peace come over me and I just felt so wonderful. And I said, well, that's Jesus right there. That's who you're talking about right there. So we laid hands on her and blessed her and prayed for her. And and uh, Augie and Beth are going to be bringing her to church probably uh, next week for the Christmas service. But what she experienced was peace. And the reason she experienced the peace was she wasn't getting from anything else. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. So you've got to categorize all the peace, all the sources of peace that we find in this world. And they are completely separate of and different from the peace that only Jesus can offer. Now, I find peace in this life. I mean, I like swinging on a hammock down in Costa Rica with my wife. That was very nice and it was very peaceful. I like eating, you know, slamming down a bunch of pizza like we did last night and you get done. Woo, that feels peaceful. I mean, there are sources of peace in this life and I love them, the the legal ones and the godly ones. I love sources of peace on this earth, but there is a peace that only comes from Jesus Christ. It's his peace. It's real. It's tangible. And she felt it yesterday. And we as believers can get out of touch with that peace because we get out of touch with him. It happens to all of us. It'll probably happen to her where she feels the peace right now. And six months from now, she'll wonder where that peace went. And I'll have to ask her, well, what have you been doing? Who have you been hanging out with? Have you been spending time alone with God? Have you been in the word? Because you can get in touch with that peace again and it will grow in your heart. And, uh, you know, Jesus offers peace to the world. Here's one of my, my favorite uh, pictures. Uh, put up this painting. This is Jesus knocking on the uh, the UN. As they're trying to figure out how to bring peace to the earth, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is knocking on the window. But they don't want him. But he is the only one that can bring peace. He is the Prince of Peace. That means the originator of and the king of peace. But Jesus not only has peace for the world. I mean, you know the world's in trouble and turbulent and lacks peace. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. But how about you? How's your peace level? How's your anxiety level, should I say? Well, Jesus not only has peace for the world, Jesus has peace for you. When you read passages like, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... You've got to bring that down to the micro level and say, God so loved me that he sent his only son. If you don't do that, the gospel is always going to be um, uh, two dimensional to you. It's always going to be some kind of theory that you never really penetrate and never penetrates you. I scratch things out in the Bible like there's a passage that says, I found David, my servant. I scratched his name out and I put John there. Now, I know you might find that sacrilegious, but you know what? I don't think God minds because David has run his course. He's in heaven. That passage is still there waiting for somebody to claim. You did that. And I'm here and David's gone. So now that's mine. There's a passage that says in Isaiah regarding the crucifixion of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and how he how he uh, took the stripes on his back. And there's a scripture that and it says, Isaiah says, who has believed our report? And I wrote right in my Bible, right in this Bible. I have to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Me. 
By his stripes, I put my name, John was healed. You've got to personalize it. And Jesus has peace for you today. Do you know that suicide rates go up at Christmas? You know, it's wonderful for many of us, but for some, it's a very, very, the most lonely season. Maybe you've lost a loved one. You're going to go through the season without a loved one for the first time. Maybe you haven't gotten over the loss of a loved one every time. Maybe they died during the Christmas season. And now every time Christmas comes, all of a sudden death is a memory for you at Christmas time. Uh, many times you're going to have to spend Christmas with that relative that you love so much. And they have to spend their Christmas with you. So maybe they need this sermon. And it's the, the relational dysfunction, the expenditures of money we don't have. And you come around to January and uh, um, counselor's offices are filled on January more than any other month. You think, hey, it's a new year and we're setting our goals, we're inspired, where a lot of people are depressed. Because the holidays didn't give them what they were looking for. They, they overspent, they're in debt, they're stressed out. What does Jesus say? What is his remedy to this? Look at this passage in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to, say it, me. He didn't say come to religion. He said come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, not somebody else's, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will. Find rest for your souls. Boy, that's direct, isn't it? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So rest is the promise. This word rest in the Greek means this, cessation from toil. You have notes in your bulletin, by the way. If you'd like to be taking notes, you can go along. Rest is cessation from toil, refreshment, and intermission. Now, that may seem like kind of a, Light definition of the rest he's asking for. I personally, I like refreshment and intermission. I mean, I like when I'm working really hard, I like to take a break. When you're running in sports, it's critical to be pulled out and sit on the bench for a while so that you can recoup and restore. I used to have a, a, a real problem doing that. I got into workaholism and I felt guilty if I took time off. I felt guilty if I took a break. I took, felt guilty if I took a day off. I almost left the ministry. In my mind and heart, I had because it fried me. And then my sister, who's a psychologist, told me one day driving in the car, you've become a workaholic. And I said, that's ridiculous. I'm not a workaholic. I'm the most laid back one in our entire family. Dad's a workaholic. My brother's a workaholic. I'm not a workaholic. And she just would not stop. And she just kept drilling into me. And it was really frustrating and irritating me. I was getting angry. How dare you call me a workaholic? She said, you're a workaholic. I said, I am not a workaholic. You're a workaholic. And so we got into this argument. And finally, I thought maybe there's truth into what she's saying. And you see, workaholism, where you're getting your identity from your accomplishments, will not let you rest. That's what Jesus was talking about in context. He was talking to people who were living in Jerusalem under a brutal religious legalistic system where you could get no rest because the religious leaders, the Pharisees, kept telling you you had to do more to be accepted by God. You have not done enough. You haven't read your Bible enough. You haven't prayed enough. You haven't fasted enough. You haven't gave enough. You haven't done enough yet for God to be pleased with you. Anybody ever felt that way before? Liars. 
I remember one time I was sitting there in my chair and I was so depressed because I felt like I just had not done enough for God. And I was supposed to be praying, but I felt so guilty, which is what legalism does. It always makes you feel bad about what you've done. And if you read three chapters, the devil will say, well, you should have read five chapters, right? Rather than celebrating, you read three more than you did yesterday. He wants to talk to you about the five that you did not read. And this condemnation comes to you and it just paralyzes and makes you want to give up. Anybody ever experienced this? And as I was sitting there, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, you never have to pray again. And he didn't say it like, well, you never have to pray again if you're going to act like that. That's not the tone of voice he was speaking in. You see, Jesus said, I am gentle and I am humble in heart. Come learn from me. See, he teaches us. That's how the rest comes. He teaches us when we come to him. He gives us God thoughts that frees us from internal bondage, psychological uh, views that we live life with, like I'm not doing enough. When God whispers to you and says, you've done plenty, I am proud of you. Man, you hear that, I'm telling you it is so liberating. And then this is one of those moments, he said, you never have to pray again. And when he said, you know when God speaks to your heart, how there's this whole message that you can't communicate in English? You try to, that's all he said, you never have to pray again. And in that message, in that word, when I was coming to Jesus and he spoke to me, what he is saying was, I love you whether you pray or not, and you and I are good. Do you know what happened next? I hit my knees and prayed like I had never prayed up to that point in my walk with Christ. I was totally freed from this religious, legalistic yoke that that spirit of religion was trying to put on me. That's what was happening in context here. Jesus was talking to the people of Jerusalem saying, come to me, get away from the Pharisees, come to me, get out of your, your works religion and come to me and I will give you rest. It applies spiritually to our religious um, endeavors. It also applies physically to our natural lives. This word rest is also found the exact same word in this passage. Now this is going to be kind of intense, but I want to show you the kind of rest Jesus says he will offer you if we will come to him. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, this is Revelation chapter 13 verse 14. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, "Write," talking to John, "Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on." Because Jesus had then risen from the dead. Yes, says the Spirit, they, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Now, why do I bring that up? Because the word rester that he says he gives to us, if we connect with him, if we come to him, and we really are able to connect with him, he says, I will give you rest in your soul that will feel like You are done. That you're, it'll feel like you have rest, you've run your life, you've run your course, you've lived your life, you have died, and there's no more responsibility, and you have, and you're done. You say, well, that's weird. No, it's powerful. Because this is what I was saying earlier when I started this sermon about Christine, who just got saved and she felt that peace. You could see it in her eyes. You could see it in her body language. You could see the joy in her heart. She had connected with the peace 
of Jesus. It was like all of her labor, all of her toil was done. And she had connected with the peace of God. This can happen over and over and over and over again. As we meet with Jesus, He, we connect with Him. It's, he gives us this rest that the same feeling as if we died and we've gone to heaven. Uh, some of you wish you could. He's not, it's not going to happen before your time. I'm just saying it's like you have died. That's the feeling. All the pressure's off. There's nothing else for me to do. But how do you do that? Well, he says you've got to learn from me. When you come into a prayer time with him or come into a time where you're reading his word, he will be giving you ideas and thoughts about how to do this. This is why he says, if you'll come and learn from me, he says, my yoke is easy. That means useful, comfortable, practical, a balanced life. And my yoke is light. That's light and weight, quick, agile, and manageable. In other words, when we come to Christ and we just settle down and listen to him, he will begin to organize your life. I remember one time I was in the habit of getting up and I would get out my organizer and I would start getting my things to do list. Anybody ever do that? You wake up and the first thing you think is what I need to do today. And, and if you're a list person, you start writing down what you need to do today. and You're getting ready and bam, you're off and running. Good luck with that. Jesus would say. He said, come to me. He didn't say, come to your organizer. He said, come to me. Don't come to your day planner. But that's what I was doing. So I decided to really get disciplined because I was lacking this peace. And so I decided I'm not going to do my cubby system first. I am going to do Jesus first. So I got on my couch and I put the cubby aside, my organizer. And I thought, I'm just going to be alone with Jesus. And I just got quiet. And I heard the voice of the Lord in my heart. I promise you, this is what he said. Pick up your organizer. I said, what? That, that, that makes no sense to me. I want to spend time with you right now. He said, pick up your organizer. So I picked it up, opened it up, and, and uh, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, now I'm going to tell you what your priorities are today. I went, Wow. How elementary is that? How simple is that? But how profound. I do it to this day. That was quite a few years ago. To this day, when I get up and I go into my office, I get a blank sheet of paper and I ask the Holy Spirit, I want you to tell me what my priorities are today. I think I know what they are. I know people are pressing on me. There's agendas. I want you to tell me what your priorities are. And when he does that, it's like a rudder in my ship. And then you know what to say yes to and what to say no to. And you have power to do it. That's why he says, if you come to me and learn from me, your burden will end up being light and easy because I'm going to give you my burden for your life. Maybe a psychological. I remember one Christmas I was at my mom's house, which is a very easy place to be. You can just be yourself. But then I was going to have to go to my dad's house, which is, you know, a very stressful place to be because you just never feel like you're doing anything right. You ever you have a relative like that? And it's just this criticalness and not that he meant to be this way. It's just the way he was. He was just critical. And so 
that just destroys your self-esteem and your self-confidence. And I just hated going to his house. So I love my dad. I hated being in the presence of a relative, especially an authority figure like my dad, where I was always having to be on guard and watch what you say. And if you say something wrong, they jump on it. And it's just, oh, God, it's supposed to be Christmas. You know, I mean, it's supposed to be a time of love. But uh, anybody have a person in your life like that? They're just, you know, they're just critical of you and you just can't seem to get out of it. And if it's a parent, it's even worse because they have this authority in your life that's just uh, undeniable. And so I decided I need to come to Jesus before I go to my dad's house because I want to be in the right place. And so as I got on my knees and I was being alone with Jesus, come to me and learn from me. I was on my knees and I was telling, asking him, I was trying to get my self-worth intact with the approval of God before I went to my dad's house where I was not going to get the approval. And the Lord spoke a verse to me that was totally unexpected. It said, love believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things and love never fails. And the interpretation of my spirit was, love your father rather than trying to get his love for you. And I mean, the love of God filled up my heart for my dad. And there was no fear of his criticism whatsoever because I wasn't trying to get his approval for me. I was there to love on him. Jesus did this complete reversal on me. And it was the most powerful time at Christmas at my dad's house I've ever had. I went in there ready to love on him. And if he said critical things to me, it didn't matter because I'm not here for you to love me. I'm here to love you with the love of God. And to believe all things that God... God loves my dad and God has a purpose for my dad. It was so powerful. I won't get into it, but we ended up in a four hour conversation where I was being very direct and very honest with him about things in our relationship. And I had no fear of bringing them up. And he said, well, I never knew that. And there was such a time of reconciliation and healing and prayer and love. But it all came out of Jesus adjusting me psychologically and emotionally in that moment I had with him. You don't have to shave your head and go on a mountaintop for six months to get this kind of stuff. He's just saying, come to me and learn from me because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I don't want you under that burden of having to live for the approval of your father or whatever it is that might be in your life. This is powerful stuff, isn't it? It comes from Jesus. So rest is the promise. But coming to Christ is the pathway. And this is the difficult part for us, is coming to Him. I know all of you can say, Amen, really loud to everything I've said so far. You can even say, boy, that really applies with me. I identify with that. I believe that. I think that's a good process. Yep, got to come to Christ, and He's going to give you rest for your soul. I believe that. You walk out of here, and all of a sudden, we're just... We're just on the treadmill again and the rat race is going and I'm in busy, 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 busy. Yeah, I know I should spend time with Jesus. I know I should. I know I should. I know I should. I know I should. And I don't now I feel bad about it. No, he didn't say come to me. And if you don't feel bad about it. He's not saying come to me. And if you don't, I'm going to be disappointed in you. What he's saying is come to me because if you don't, you won't have rest for your souls. But I'm going to love you anyway, whether you come to me or not. You're just not going to have rest for your souls. And that breaks my heart because I'm the Prince of Peace and you're my child. Come to me. And so you have to get really practical with it and just 
do it. Now, let's go to another passage very quickly. Now, this is a great passage that represents the holidays like nothing else. This is in the book of uh, Luke. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, we all want to be like Mary, don't we? And those who are Martha's in this house hate it when preachers bring up this passage. But we all act like Martha in our lives. But Martha was distracted. Distracted from what? Obviously from Jesus. God is in her house. How can you not be focused on God when He is sitting on your couch in human form and you know it's Him? Oh, because I got things to do. You see, I have responsibilities. I got a things to do list. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a businesswoman. I'm hosting this party. And there's God sitting on her couch, knowing that he could set the table and just fill the house with food with one word. And she's heard sermons about the power of Jesus. She's seen him raise the dead. They were very good friends. She knows he has this power, theoretically. But you see, right now, she's on the job. Oh, man, I'm messing with some people in here today. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. See, Christmas is a busy season. This message applies to every season of life, but especially right now where all the preparations have to be made. Don't forget about Jesus, especially in this season, because when you need the peace the most is when a storm's about to hit. She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him. That's good, Mary or Martha. You're coming to the right place. She came to him. Yay. Jesus sees Martha coming into the living room where Mary's at. All right. You're doing the right thing. And asked him, Lord, don't you care? Wow. Now she's assaulting his character. Don't you care? I mean, this is what anxiety and rushing around and getting our priorities out of whack and not spending time alone with the Lord can do. We can get so disoriented that we can't even say such a thing to the Lord of love himself. Don't you care? That my sister has left me to do the work all by myself. And now she's got this martyr thing going. Like Elijah, I'm the only prophet left. And God says, I've got 7,000 prophets. Quit whining. She's left me to do it all by myself. Look, look at this. Look what she says to Jesus. Tell her to help me. She is completely out of control. I know this is what Hope says to me. When I'm yelling at the kids, I think I've done it once. It was a long time ago. 
and I'm just stressed out and I'm kind of like short tempered and barking and this kind of thing. You know, she'll try the pet, you know, the, you know, kind of like do this on my shoulder. And that just irritates me. It's like, stop that. I'm not a dog. Stop that. Then she'll say, you need to go into your office and pray for a little bit right now. Because she knows it's like Superman going and Clark Kent going into a telephone booth. It is unbelievable what happens when I close it off and I go be alone with the Lord and I just got this, I'm fuming, you know, and it's just, ah, ah. It's just amazing what happens when I obey my wife and I just slow down and my teeth start to ungrit. And I, you know, rather than doing yoga exercises or the breathing exercises or counting the ten, just come to Jesus. And I just come to the Lord and I relax and I just begin to pray and listen to him. And it is amazing how he just gives me love for my children. It reminds me, you're the head of this home and you create the atmosphere in this house by the way that you come out. And then I start thinking, oh, man, my kids are so tender and they need me. And I come back out. I'm telling you, it's so different for about 15 minutes. It's just amazing how that works. Thank God Jesus is always in. The doctor's in. So you can go back into there if you need to as many times as you need to. And get out of this. Oh, look at her. Look at her talking to Jesus. Tell her to help me. Wow. Isn't it amazing what stress does to us? Telling, accusing God of not caring, playing the victim and the martyr, and then telling the Lord what to do. Jesus replies, using her name twice, he's gentle. Remember he says, I'm gentle and humble. Martha, Martha. You know, when people talk to me and say, the Lord spoke to me and said, and then it's a real critical, angry voice when they tell me what God said to them, I think in my mind, that's your dad talking to you. That's your mom talking to you. That's your ex-husband talking to you. That's that whoever in your life talking to you. When you were a child, you have this voice in your head that you think is God. Because God does not talk like that. And he usually doesn't say the things to you that you think he just said to you. Because that does not sound like God to me. The way you know it's the Lord, he can speak as stern to you as any human being. And yet, after he says it, you feel loved and changed all at the same time. You just want to repent because of the way he speaks to your soul. He, gives, he can kill you and give you life all in the same breath. He's always restorative. He's always redemptive. He always fills us with hope when he speaks to us. That's what he's doing to Martha. He sees Martha's condition. He knows she's wrapped around the axle. And he says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are, he's, gonna, he's talking to her now, just not about the moment in time here. Now listen, we're going to close up here in just a minute. The statement he's about to make isn't just about her present condition. I believe he's talking to her about her chronic condition. You are worried and upset or troubled about many things. And he's not saying it with a critical voice. He's just telling her about her present condition. I don't know what happened to Martha. I don't know if she got it and she reprioritized and began coming to Jesus before she does the dishes, before she does the cooking, before she or he goes to work. I don't know if she ever made the adjustment, but he's telling her, 
what her present condition is, and he wants to help her out of it. And he gives her an example. You are worried and upset about many things, but don't you hate it when your parents compare you to, to your brother or sister? Why can't you be more like, well, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. But, but only one thing is needed. Now, that just sounds so irresponsible. It's so hard for us when we have responsibilities that nobody else can do. And some preacher standing up here and telling you to spend time alone with Jesus. You're like, well, yeah, but if you had my schedule, you had my life, you would understand. Well, you know what? You're about to be spoken to by Jesus. You're worried and troubled about many things. But these many things are my responsibility. They need to get done. He just doesn't listen to that and says there's one thing needed. This is what I did when I was in college. I had this stack of books. I've got days of studying ahead of me. And it's always there, reading, 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 studying, studying, studying. But I made it a, a priority to always read the Word of God for about 10 minutes before I cracked open my psychology book or my biology book or whatever it might have been or practicing. Uh, I was a music major practicing for hours on end in a concrete room. I always made sure I put the Word of God first and prioritize God. And it's amazing how when you do that, you remember that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God knows all the, all the answers in my biology book. He knows all the answers in the psychology book. Jesus knows all the answers. He has all the wisdom, all the understanding, all the knowledge. So we begin with him first. And it was amazing how when I would begin with Jesus, only, you know, just for a matter of moments, you're humbling yourself. He would open up my understanding now and I was able to grasp concepts I couldn't grasp before when I would first come to him. Only one thing is needed. Now watch this. This is powerful. Mary has chosen what is better. It's not just going to happen to you. It's a choice on your and my behalf. Jesus is standing here, the Prince of Peace, and you're right there. And he says, come to me. And you're like, I will in a minute. He says, come to me. I, I will in a little bit. I got things I got to do right now. Come to me. You just got to shut it off and say, I choose to come to you now. And it needs to become habitual. Like I said, it does not have to be this hour, two hour, three hour long thing. It just needs to be habitually coming to him to plug in and draw from him and worship him. And he restores your soul. He can do it so quickly. And then he says to her, when she said, tell her to come help me, basically at the end of this whole discourse, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. How aggravating that had to be for Martha. I'm serving all alone. Tell her to come help me. This is important for a Jewish mother preparing to, 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 to host for the Lord. Tell her to come help me. Clearly, you know how important this is. What a responsibility it is on me. I'm responsible for this whole thing. And Jesus says, not going to do it. Mary is doing the most responsible thing, and I'm not going to take that away from her and tell her to get busy serving me. So all I can say to all of us today is that Jesus has peace to offer us. 
And whatever your need is, going to him and plugging in is the key. Now, how do you do this? Let me give you some practical things real quick. This is just some thoughts, and then we're going to close up with this. Because all this is great conceptually. And many of you in your mind right now are thinking, yeah, I try to. I can't do it in the morning because I wake up, and then the kids are up, and I can't do it at work because it's chaotic, and I can't, and I can't, and I can't, and I can't. Well, just go on with your anxiety-ridden, anxious self. I can't, I can't, I can't. Yes, you can. You can take control of your life. You can carve out time to be alone with the Lord. I remember when I was in wrestling. My wrestling coach used to always say to me, it depends on who wants it the most. When you get on that mat, it depends on who wants it the most. And the one who wants it the most carves out time to exercise, carves out time to run, carves out time to practice. You know, you look at these quarterbacks, you look at the athletes, you look at them that are the best in the world. And whenever you, like Tony Gwynn, these guys, whenever they're interviewed, you find out they don't just have this gift. Tony Gwynn spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours watching films of pitchers releasing the ball so he knew what was coming. Drew Brees is a, is, is a perfectionist. He's there before everybody else. He leaves after everybody else. Uh, Manning is the same way. They, they take their craft seriously. They carve out time. Other people say, well, I just can't. I have things to do. So here's some things that I do. A real practical, and we're going to close up. Number one is read the Bible when you wake. When you get up, read the Word of God. Just read a chapter. Get the Word of God into you. Even if the angels don't sing Hallelujah Chorus when you do it, just get some of the Word of God before your eyes and in your heart. It's powerful to feed on the Word of God. Do it. Just carve it out. When you get up, I know you got things to do. Just open up the Bible. Read some of the word and close. Just start that habit. Number two is arrive early and sit in the car, especially when you're going to your relative's house this Christmas. This is the habit I do. I do it to this day. When I go from one meeting to the next, especially when I come from uh, things at church and I pull up to the house, I turn off the car and I sit there. It's a habit. I know when I enter that house, I'm going to create the atmosphere. By whether dad comes in angry, grumpy, or dad comes in peaceful and loving. My children are waiting for me, and I've got stresses, I've got anxieties, I've got worries, I've got concerns on me. I turn off the car, and I sit there, and I just get along with Jesus for a moment. I just calm down. And I make a shift internally. And I say, Jesus, I was a pastor a few minutes ago. Right now, I'm a dad. I put that hat on, and I'm asking you to give me your grace for this. And then I come inside. Turn off the radio. That's a good place to start. Especially if you're an AM junkie. I love AM radio. I wish the whole world would listen to some of those AM programs. It's the only place you're going to get conservative input in Fox, you know, and anywhere else you're going to get a bunch of liberal stuff. I love it. But let me tell you something. No, it's true. But listen. Listen. But AM radio does not give you peace. It makes you angry and frustrated, and it makes you want to revolt. So I extract the information, but I hate the spirit of it because it's disrespectful and antagonistic and it gets everybody up in a throth and you think the whole world's coming to an end in the morning. But that's because that way you, you attract it and you want to tune in because, you know, they're alarmists. And so they got to keep your attention. But I like the information. So you cannot feed on AM radio and expect to have the peace that the Prince of Peace can offer. All right. Because Rush Limbaugh is not going to give that to you. Jesus is. Number three, excuse yourself for ten minutes. Like I said earlier in the sermon, 
when you're at the party. Mom, when you've got these kids buzzing around you and you've got to be serving and your relatives are there and all that, you think, I can't, I can't, I can't. Martha! Say, you know what? I'll be back in about ten minutes. Delegate to your husband. And if, and if that's like a totally bad idea. <laughs> because you know the ten minutes you have alone in your bedroom, you're going to be more stressed out. Wondering how he's destroying everything that you've developed over the last 24 hours. Delegate to somebody else. You just close yourself off. Look, you might think, well, that's impossible. Stop thinking that way. Do you know that the, uh, the Wesley brothers, uh, uh, the mama had 19 children. Two of them were revivalists. Some of the greatest revivalists in the history of the world. She had 19 children. You know what she did? She had a rocking chair in the middle of the house. And when she put her apron over her head, all the kids knew, leave mom alone. She's with Jesus. That's how she did it. I don't know what happened to the other 17 children. They're probably axe murderers in prison. I don't know. Two of them were two of the greatest preaching revivalists in the history of the world. You just have to excuse yourself. I'm, not, I'm telling you, the only way to do this is just do it. Quit making excuses. Do it. Your life depends on it. And another, another uh, um, idea is read the Bible before bed. That's a great way to settle down. You get to bed and you're all anxious and worried and you don't sleep and you toss and turn. Then you get up and you're twice the child of hell in the morning. Then you're worried before you went to bed. You've got to get the Word of God in your heart and mind before you go to bed. Let it sink into your heart. It's amazing. The Word of God is powerful. And then finally, if none of that works, call a friend and say, I'm freaking out. I need you to pray with me. The Bible says, confess your weaknesses one to another. Pray for each other that you may be healed. The Bible says where two of you on earth agree as touching anything, my Father will do it. You've got to be able to reach out, call a friend, and say, will you pray with me? Don't wait until you're suicidal to do that. Do it on a regular basis. I have guys in my life, we pray together, I do it consistently, I process, you've got to get that out. But I just pray that this holiday season and that this would just be a common theme in your life, that you would know you would remember, you'd be persuaded. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He has peace to offer you. But the pathway is you have got, you have got to come to Him. Even this whole sermon did not give you peace. It told you about it. And it told you where to get it. You have to go to Jesus yourself. Let's pray. Lord, I pray there's a deep determination in the heart of every person And the sound of my voice. They know they're supposed to do this. I know I'm supposed to do this. To find that peace that you offer. I pray right now there's a deep determination. A no holds barred. Line in the sand. I'm not going to be Martha. I'm going to be Mary. Determination starting right now. Give us the peace we need, Lord. To live life well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now if you're in here today.